This morning we're continuing our, our series in the book of Matthew. We're almost there. And the passage that we're talking about this morning, which is in Matthew 25, verse 31. The passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is continuing to talk about the future. When he returns. And really, there's, there's kind of two points that he's kind of focusing on. There's, there's the fact that he will return, that he will return one day, and that we're to think about how we're to live in the light of that. I just read um, just this week about uh, an interesting thing about Middlesbrough Clock Tower. I don't know if we, I think we've got a photo of the clock tower in Middlesbrough um, that's built down by, the, down by the port. And apparently, it only has three sides to the clock. Did you know this? It only has three sides. And, and the, the, the theory is, the rumor is, that one side that faces the docks, faces the shipyard, um, doesn't have a clock because the, 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 the bosses didn't want the people to be clock watching, to be, to be watching the time as they were working. Do you know that phrase, clock watching, where, you know, you sit at work, perhaps, or at school, and you're going, okay, what's the time? Is it almost five o'clock? And you're just waiting, really, seeing out the time until it gets to the time you can go. That's not how Jesus wants us to live as we await his return. It's not that we're just clock watching, running down the time. He tells us how we're to wait. And that's been a theme of um, this chapter in Matthew. You know, Gavin spoke about the um, parable of the bridesmaids. They're to be prepared, aren't they? Do you remember? And then Raj last week talking about the parable of the servants and the bags of gold, how they were to live. Jesus wants us to know how to live as we wait for him. So let's read this passage. Matthew 25 from verse 31. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will gather before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and not go to visit you? Uh, sorry, and go to visit you. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. 
I was needed clothes and you'd not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He'll reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Wow. Okay. Do you know what? I think this is a passage that can be misunderstood if we take just a kind of shallow reading of it. So this is a passage ultimately about Jesus, the Son of Man who comes in glory with all his angels who sit on his throne. This is Jesus. He's the king that he's referring to. And he says all the nations will be gathered to him. On that day, it's a reminder that all people, everyone, will be gathered. A reminder that we'll all face judgment one day. And do you know what? He will judge fairly, rightly, justly. And his judgment, he says, will be like a shepherd separating out sheep. Sheep to the right and goats to the left. See, often in the Middle East, sheep and goats graze together. And uh, you sometimes just couldn't tell. They were just in a big, uh, you know, group together. What is a group? What is a, what's the, the word for a group of sheep? A flock. Yeah, is that the same for goats? I don't know. But you just see them in one big great flock. Goats and sheep together. It was difficult to tell them apart. But there were times when they did need to be separated out, maybe for shearing, maybe because goats get colder at night um, and they can't, they're not as hardy. They need to be looked after in a little different way at night time. So they needed to be separated out at times. And Jesus is saying, look, this is a picture of judgment, the judgment of all humans at the end of world history. So we don't like this idea, do we? It can make us feel uncomfortable. It can be a bit offensive, actually, in our culture. We like the idea of a God of love. Less so much a God of judgment. But in the Bible, God's both. He's both. How can this be? How can it be? Well, American Bible teacher Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, the Bible says that God's wrath, God's judgment, flows from his love and his delight in his creation. He's angry at evil and injustice because it's in destroying his peace and his integrity. Do you see that? Another Bible teacher says this, a God who will not one day judge evil and injustice and make a final end to it is not a God worthy of worship. But it's how God will judge this world that I think can be misunderstood and how this passage can be misunderstood. See, some might read this and say, well, the most important thing then that matters is the behaviour that's going to determine whether God is going to accept me, how he will judge me, my eternal future, is this. It's how I look after people in need. 
And God will look at how I've done that, and then he'll decide, heaven or hell. That's how it could be read. And if that was the case, everything else Jesus has said up to now in Matthew would be worthless. It really would. He said to a, a, a paralyzed guy who they've um, uh, dropped through a roof, your sins are forgiven. He said, look, I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners. He said, the Son of Man, I've come not to, ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Okay, so how do we, in the light of that then, how do we understand this passage? Well, I think there's a few things that are worth noting. I think, I think this, Jesus did not mean that salvation, righteousness with God, was at- is obtained through simply helping the poor. And I think there's some clues that tell us this. I think it goes to the word, which we've had actually, I'll come back to in a minute, but if you do that, if you help people and that's how you get into heaven, that's called a reward, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus says in this, in this, verse, in this passage. He says, inheritance. Come and receive your inheritance. And an inheritance is what a child gets, whether they've been good or not. Whether they've earned it or not. They get it because they're a child. And they're invited into that. I think we've got a sense of that as um, Jill brought that tongue. And then David talking about you know, this, this being invited to th- into the throne room of God and a feast, invited into a feast. And then Mark with Psalm 47. It says the inher- he chose our inheritance for us. This is very different. Also, there's this sense of surprise at Jesus' response. People are saying, when did we see you hungry? When, when did we see you in prison? It kind of paints this picture that these are kind of selfless acts of kindness. They're not, they're not acts that are looking for a reward as such. See, the message of Christianity is never do enough good acts, do enough good things that will build up enough weight to allow, let God to allow you into heaven. Now this is, this is from Titus 3.5. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the rushing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And what do we add in all that? Nothing. We don't add anything. It's his generous grace through all that Jesus has done for us. Okay, so we've decided this passage isn't teaching that the way for rightness with God is through serving people around us, serving the poor around you. In fact, there's nothing we can do in order to earn that right relationship with God. It's a gift. It's only through the cross. It's what Jesus has done for you and I. I think it's also interesting that Jesus talks about these brothers and sisters of mine. 
How do we take that? Are these his literal brothers and sisters? Are these uh, his ethnic brothers and sisters? Are these the Jewish people? Or is this just anyone in need? How, do we, how are we to understand it when he says, when you've done this for these brothers and sisters of mine? Well, if you remember long enough back when we looked at Matthew chapter 12, a long time ago, and uh, um, some of Jesus' family come to him, don't they? And they say, your mother and your brothers are waiting outside. What does he say? Who? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Who's my family? It's those that do God's will. It's those who follow me. It's those who choose to follow me. And I, and I think that's most likely what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the prisoners, they're followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus that have come to experience these things. Okay, so how do we summarize all of Jesus' teaching here with those things in mind? Well, I've, I've summarized it this way and I've kind of paraphrased someone else. This is how the Bible teacher Don Carson puts it. I've paraphrased it slightly because he's saying, look, if it's in the light of how we wait for Jesus, he paraphrases it like this. As you wait for Jesus' return, live lives so transformed by the joy news of Jesus that without almost thinking about it, you serve other Christians in need. Let me just repeat that. As you wait for his return, live lives so transformed by the joy news of Jesus that almost without thinking about it, you and I serve other Christians in need. So how might we apply that to our lives today and how might we allow that to shape us? Well, firstly this, I think this. I've not done very well with three points today. There's probably about six or seven points. If you're writing notes, I apologize. Jesus cares for Christians experiencing poverty and oppression. You know, in, in countries, and we're, here in the UK, we're probably outliers. You know, you look around the world, actually in countries around the world, followers of Jesus experience persecution, oppression, poverty, often because of that decision that they have made to follow him. Perhaps you've come from Eritrea. Perhaps you're from Iran or the Middle East, parts of the Middle East, where that is, that is your reality. That's what you have come from. Maybe that was actually you. Maybe that is the case for friends and family that you still know in one of those nations. That because of their decision to follow Jesus, they're experiencing poverty, oppression, imprisonment, hunger. Maybe you've come to this country as a stranger. You came here and you could say like Jesus, I, I was a stranger in a strange land and you welcomed me. You are very welcome here. And we want to welcome you and learn how to welcome more and more people that come as strangers into this land. Maybe as, as Western Christians who are perhaps raised in the UK, we can find out about nations. We can look and see and find out. We can ask our friends who are here. We can look at the news and read on the internet and find out about nations and find out how we can pray and how we can support and how we can take an interest in brothers and sisters around the world. 
However, I think this passage is also another reminder to us. It's a reminder that Jesus cares for anyone facing poverty and oppression. See, the Bible shows Jesus caring for people that he met. Regardless of how they responded to him, he showed them compassion and care. And you know, there's a story, isn't there, of someone who tried to come and test Jesus just to find out, how can I limit my compassion to others? And he comes to Jesus and he says, Look, but you know, you said love my neighbour. Who is my neighbour? I just need to be able to box this off so that I can work out who I need to really be kind and compassionate to. And Jesus says, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The reality is, it's everyone. You can't do that. See, you don't have to go far in Teesside, do you really, to see that there are people experiencing poverty who are hungry, who are in need. And we're called to care and we're called to show the love of Jesus to them. I think also that Jesus isn't ashamed to identify with the poor and the oppressed too. You think about it. Jesus didn't come, did he, as an earthly king. Jesus, the one, the only one who has ever been able to plan their own birth and entry into the world. And how does he do it? It's into poverty. It's not as a king. It's not in the house of a king. It's into poverty. He's not ashamed to be identified with those in difficulty and poverty. He spent time with those around him. He spent time with those and hung around with people like that in poverty. There were times where he wasn't believed. There were times when people around him like ran him out of town. There were times when they tried to chuck him off a cliff. There were times when they, people said, no, he's just mad. He knew poverty and oppression. Listen, perhaps, perhaps that's you right now. Perhaps in whatever way it might be, you, you're just, you sense that in your life. Do you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm feeling that sense of poverty, loneliness, oppression, difficult circumstances. Perhaps you feel a stranger. Listen, God is not distant. He's not. Just Paul brought that prophetic word. God is not distant. He's close and he holds your hand. He identifies with you. One writer put it like this. Listen, he had, at least Jesus had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He stands with you. He identifies with you. He can sympathise with you. I think Jesus wants us to take this story, uh, this uh, passage personally. In one of their books, our good friends Martin Charlesworth and Natalie, do you remember Natalie coming to visit us earlier in the year? Martin Charlesworth and Natalie Williams, they talk about a proximity problem that often we have as Christians. Proximity is about closeness. You know, proximity means getting close. We can have a problem, a proximity problem as Christians. And they say this, we need to be close enough relationally or physically to be in touch with the reality of poverty on a regular basis. 
without proximity, that's closeness, we are prone to prejudice. And Jesus expected his followers to be in proximity with those who were experiencing poverty on an ongoing basis. He expected them to get personal. See, what might proximity look like to you and to me? It might mean getting involved with something like uh, the Hope Foundation and finding out ways you can help meet people in need. It might be getting involved with something like Open Door, uh, reaching out to refugees in Teesside, meeting people who literally have come as strangers, looking for a welcome. It might be getting involved in one of the communities in this area. We're looking at whether we can run a, a cafe on a Tuesday here, as like a warm space. You've heard of warm spaces, have you? The whole idea that people from communities can come in. We're looking at how we can run a cafe and how people can come in on a Tuesday. If you, want, if you can be involved in that, if you think I can give some time to help that, make that run and speak to people and serve them tea, we'd love to hear from you. There may be many other ways that you could get involved and get close Maybe it's a, a personal responsibility in another way. Maybe it's in um, sponsoring one of these children in Ghana, one of our children in Ghana through the Compassion Hub. And uh, maybe it's saying, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do that. I'm going to commit to you know, £28 a month or whatever it might be to sponsor one of those children. Jesus wants us to take this passage personally. See, getting personal will mean a challenge. But that's the call. That's the call. I was reminded this week of a, a story that Paul uh, Catterall told me in, a number of years ago um, in Open Door. And he, he was telling me this, uh, he told me this story of uh, a lady that had come to Middlesbrough who he had encountered, a Muslim lady. And she'd been brought here in order to marry a man. And uh, unfortunately, it had not gone well. She'd been abused and rejected and actually abandoned in the UK by that man. And when Paul and the team met her, she was actually sleeping in a, a storeroom of a shop. A shopkeeper had said, you know, you can use my storeroom to sleep in. And Paul and the Open Door team were able to help her, able to help her get sorted able to help her get the right support and get her life a little bit more back on track. And she came back a few months later to offer her thanks and to say thank you to the team. And they were startled by the words that she used when she came back. She said this, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. The team rushed and went and got a Bible and said, you know what, you, you've literally just spoken the very words of Jesus. Listen, as we get personal and close, we're doing the very thing that Jesus has called us 
to do as we wait for his return. See, I think we'd all agree this is a challenging passage, but I think if you don't understand it in the light of all that Jesus came to do, do you know what? It's not just challenging. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's hopeless. See, the message of Christianity isn't just rack up enough points by helping people around you. The message of Christianity is this. You can know God. You can know him. You can have him in your life. He can be the Lord of your life. You can come to know the friendship of God. And do you know what? For us to know the friendship of God, for us to know him in our lives, for us to know his closeness, this God who we were singing about this morning, who is the highest and the greatest, became the least. He became the least in a way that no other person in world history has. He became a stranger. It says his own didn't recognize him. He came into the world and became a stranger. It says on the night of his crucifixion, he was arrested. He was imprisoned. It says that his crucifixion clothes were taken off him and the soldiers just gambled them away between themselves. On the cross, he hung there. Didn't experience just sickness. Experienced death for you and I. See, in him becoming the least means in exchange we get to become dear children of God and we get to become um, friends with God, restored to him. And it means that we don't have to fear that day of judgment because we know there is one who stands in our place, who has done it all and stands saying, you know what, I've done it all for them, for you, for me. But he gives us a decision. He says, listen, there's a decision to make. Are you going to choose to accept this sacrifice, this gift that I hold out to you? Are you going to accept it? Are you going to receive me, says Jesus, or reject me? There's a decision to make. Perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning. Perhaps you've never considered what that means. He holds this truth out to you this morning, this decision. He says, will you receive me? We'd love to talk to you about what that means. We'd love you to say, yes, I want to receive Jesus into my life. Receive him and start a new life with him. Listen, allow your lives to be transformed by the amazing love of Jesus. And as your lives are transformed, allow him to um, use you to be a light to those in need around you, to those in poverty around you. See, that's the point this morning. That's the point. The point is not simply, hey, do you know what? There's a, there's a plan. There's a, there's a, a philosophy. Uh, there's, a, there's a pep talk, an encouraging talk about poverty. No, no, the plan is this. There's a person and his name is Jesus. And he lives through you and I by the Spirit, empowering us to help those around us in need. Amen. We're going we're gonna to end by breaking bread together worshipping this Jesus, remembering all that he has done for us, that he became the least so that we might become children of God and we await his return when one day he will return and put all things right.